Hey, what's up, tribe? Welcome to another episode of the TFC Audio Project Down Under. In this episode, we talk all about natural movement. So we go through the characteristics and the different types of natural movement, why it's so relevant to health and performance, even in the modern environment, the principles of efficiency and effectiveness, and some tips to help you integrate more natural movement into your life. This week's episode is sponsored by TFC Events. Connect through movement and play at one of our in-person workshops with a focus on simple, powerful methods for improving foot function, mobility and balance, all while having lots of fun. These are the perfect way to dip your toe into the barefoot life. The first for 2021 will be held in Brisbane on February 27. There's some details in our show notes on that. And if you can't make that one, we'll be coming to a city near you soon enough. And if you're keen to host, we'll also run private workshops. So get in touch. All right, so you're back with James and Mac. For another episode and this week is going to be all about natural movement. So this flows on really well from the previous podcast which is on movement nutrition. So we really recommend listening to that episode first because we'll be referring to some of those concepts throughout. Gives a good context to what we're, we're yeah. talking about today. Yeah, exactly. And um, this is quite a, a huge topic, the topic of natural movement. And fortunately, there's a, a whole massive book on the topic by... <laughs> <A> Bible. <laughs> yes, yeah, big Bible. It's I'm actually super impressed uh, at how thorough it is. Uh, and that's by Erwan Lacour, who's a, a French guy who... Um, from what I've read and heard, he, he grew up uh, sort of playing naturally in natural environments. His parents sort of pushed him to do that a lot uh, or encouraged him and, and then sort of grew up and went into like the, the, the original sort of parkour scene in France. Yeah, right. And it's quite interesting actually. There's a, just a little side note with the um, similarities between parkour and natural movement. If you mm. look up a a video on youtube called i think it's parkour versus monkey or so if you type that in it'll come up and it just has different clips of parkour people running through the streets and then clips of monkeys doing the same thing and the patterns are very very similar yeah unsurprising and, i guess it's just a different environment an urban one to a exactly yeah so the the concept is with parkour and with natural movement is just getting from A to B as efficiently as possible. So, so Erwan so it was around that scene and, mm. and had a mentor who was really into like barefoot stuff and cold, cold immersion and all this sort of more extreme stuff. So um, he just would spend a lot of time moving out in nature and in urban environments. And um, I think there was a method, uh, there was a guy, George Herbert, a French guy who developed something called the Method Naturale, um, which was actually applied to the armed forces over there as well. So getting wow. into the, like a lot of obstacle courses and things like that. And I think Erwan has adapted some of that and sort of created a more of a structure around it and or created his own structure based on his own experiences and and um and analysis. put it all in a book yeah yeah i think it took him a while to write and <laughs> it would have looking at it yeah so highly recommend checking out the book especially if you're um if you're sort of into geeking out on movement it goes very very deep very very thorough um but i've been loving revisiting it like i bought it last year and and got through some of it but i've been revisiting it for this podcast and 
Yeah, just very impressed. So You're rec- saving them the trouble. <laughs> yeah, true. So this this podcast, you know, we won't be able to get through all of the topics in that book. Um, it's sort of going to be an introduction to the philosophy and a summary of like the most important concepts, and then we'll sort of delve into different aspects of it through some future podcasts as well. Yeah, because it's it's pretty central to a lot of the things that for Collective Australia is all about, and a lot of the philosophies that we're trying to get across oh 100 percent. yeah i mean really what we're trying to do is restore the natural movement and natural function of the foot and you know you can't really separate the foot from the rest of the body so it's just starting at the feet really is what we're about um because they're so neglected in modern society but yeah erwan i know he's been talking about the benefits of barefoot and balancing on things for years and years like decades mm-hmm. um obviously far before the Foot Collective was even around. So he's sort of one of the original dudes who was advocating it. Um, And in his book, there's heaps of things on balancing on two by fours and things like that. And um, I've actually done a a MoveNat course. So he also created a method called MoveNat. Mm. Um, And I've done the instructional, uh, like the certification, I suppose. And there was a lot of balancing and footwork and stuff in there as well. So, yeah, very, um, very cool resources to check out. And we'll, we'll talk a bit about more, more, a bit more about them <laughs> at the end as well. Um, so, I guess probably start with a definition then to get straight into it. Yes, let's. Um, so, I'll just start with a quote from Owan, which is, if we're looking for a method of exercise that would be relevant to our biology, we need to look into the collective movement past of our species. So the idea there is that our genes really expect certain amounts of movement, certain types of movement and certain variety of movement, which is exactly what we discussed in the previous podcast. Yeah. And the reason those genes expect that is because for the bulk of our evolution, we've been moving a certain way. So if throughout our whole evolutionary history, um, then we've been doing certain things either instinctually, as in as we develop through infancy, we start to play with different movement patterns. No one's coaching us to do that. Um, But those patterns end up allowing us to survive in a natural environment. And obviously the act of survival in a natural environment includes all of these natural movements. Of course. And so examples of those kinds of movements would be like rolling and crawling and even just sitting on the ground and squatting, walking, running, jumping, yep, um, throwing, balancing, climbing, um, you know, wrestling, sort of fighting is all sort of natural movements that we would have to do in order to survive. And you can imagine getting all of those movements frequently in different uh, different ways and different environments would provide an optimal movement nutritious diet, diet yeah. or an optimal nutritious movement diet. And in a sense, it could be argued that any movement is natural. And so, you know, yes, all those movements... I guess that's the catch, isn't it? Us being natural would yeah. suggest that all of our movements are natural, but... Exactly, yeah. So humans are nature, in a sense. We are part of nature. Yeah. And so everything we do almost could be classified as natural. Um, and so, you know, things like dancing or, um, you know, strength training, or you know, different things could Even be seen running as... running itself, yeah. the way we run today. Yeah, could be seen as natural, but um, 
Erwan has done a really great job of defining natural movement with a set of characteristics and mm. principles um, that just make logical sense to sort of tie it all together and to exclude some movements from the definition of natural and to include others. Yeah, to give people a better understanding of of what they're doing and, yeah. and how they should be doing it. Because it is good to have those definitions. And um, yeah, I think he's really done a great job of, of creating that list and, and that um, definition. But just to give some context as well, is naturalness or unnaturalness doesn't necessarily mean good or bad. It's not that mm. a natural movement is good um, because it's natural. It's just that our genes expect these natural movements for one. Um, and also natural movements can and really should be the foundation on which you all build, other movement yeah. capacities are built. Yeah. So, you know, for example, strength training can be a really amazing thing for the body. Um, so training with a barbell or Olympic lifting or, you know, these kinds of things aren't necessarily natural, isn't a natural movement per se. Yeah. Um, but they do include uh, elements of natural movements. Um, you know, maybe the process of training is it wouldn't be deemed natural, but the if people have a mastery or at least a competency in the basics of natural movement, then they're going to be much better able to pick up strength training or dancing or skiing or, you know, all these other things. And that, on the flip side, having that baseline of strength training would help you with natural movement it would picking up a log or yeah it would help but but not get you there, there all the way i guess yeah it wouldn't help you get it get you there all the way and that's what we'll talk about a bit later when we're talking about like efficiency and effectiveness yeah, exactly. and stuff um but yeah so natural or unnatural not necessarily good or bad mm. but natural movements should form the foundation yeah really and yeah, sure. i mean that makes sense because that's the natural movements is what we learn as kids and what we play with as kids. So the only reason we lose that foundation is really because of the sedentary culture. Yeah. Um, so we'll get into the characteristics of natural movement. Lay them on us. So the first one he talks about is evolutionary. So mm. natural movement stems from the way our species has adapted to life in nature since the dawn of mankind. So that's... That one's pretty straightforward. Pretty straightforward, yeah. yeah. So we... In order to survive as a species and evolve, well, in order to evolve, we had to survive and the movements that we did to survive are the natural movements. Yeah. Um, instinctual. So this means, yeah, like we said, we start developing natural movements, um, just those patterns as infants without needing yeah. instruction. Yeah. So they're biologically programmed in our brains to be expressed and played with yeah, as I was going to say, and this is a lot of what we talked about in the play episode, that, yeah. that instinctual learning. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, natural movements are universal, so it's everyone's birthright, regardless of ethnicity, gender, or age, or anything like that. And, you know, that's probably a good, a good way. You know, different cultures have different um, mediums of movement, like, dances and um mm. you know various things but those aren't necessarily universal they're can be specific to each culture um different rituals and dances and things like that so the idea is natural natural movement is should transcend ubiquitous across yeah. all human species pretty much or all human um cultures, cultures and, yeah. and religions and and so on and so forth um the next one is practical so 
yeah, the primary purpose of natural movement is to be useful at ensuring basic physiological needs. Um, these are all just the descriptions that are in the book. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you need to you need to do the movements in order to survive. So finding food, um, building shelter, escaping predators, uh, things like that. They're all practical movements. Yeah. And again, that's sort of what excludes things like dance or you know they're kind of bonus movements um these are the ones you need yeah exactly you need to to get through the day and to get through life yeah um and along those lines is vital that's the next one Mm. so natural movement supports survival in life-threatening circumstances and ultimately serves biological fitness so yeah it if you want to survive you've got to be able to escape in a natural environment you got to escape predators you got to be able to you know find food so it supports life um and also in the long term it uh you know gives you that movement nutrition which then keeps you functioning optimally in the long term um so natural movement is unspecialized. I think this one's pretty interesting. Yeah. yeah. So the idea, so natural movement skills are interrelated and work symbiotically. Mm. So this is where we're sort of talking about the foundation for everything else because yeah. these certain fundamental human movement patterns form the basis of pretty much every other complex pattern that we can learn. And a lot of it, I guess you can't look at them individually as... As soul movements, there's a lot of flow between those yeah. movements in a natural environment. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and the the only reason to really break it down is for the learning process for people who are, have been out of touch with it. Yeah. Um, but having this very broad, unspecialized foundation of movement is pretty big. And these days, we're seeing the complete opposite in the you know sort of radical specialization if you if you will so people playing only a certain sport or only doing a certain type of activity and they pay the price for it with with overuse injuries and you know acute injuries and and things like that that wouldn't happen if they had that foundation yeah and the variability yeah which comes back to that movement nutrition it's it's interesting when you say unspecialized you know you think back to being a child and, and climbing a tree for the first time and a, a new tree that you hadn't climbed before. And I guess if you had been taught a specific type of movement to climb a tree, you probably wouldn't be able to climb that different type of tree. Yeah, yeah, but true. But it's that unspecialized movement of the body all the way through rather yeah. than reach to your left at a 90 degree angle, pull up. Yeah, same with jumping or climbing, any of those natural movements. Yeah, yeah. The unspecialized flow between them is, which really, which really feeds into the next um, characteristic, which is adaptable. Mm. And so, yeah, if someone say someone only taught you the proper way to do a pull up or something like that, like yeah. a gymnastic pull up or you know a, a kipping pull up in CrossFit or something like that, you might not, you probably wouldn't be able to climb a tree in the same way as someone who just done unspecialized adaptable practice climbing a tree yeah <laughs> you know sure the capacity of the pull-up learning the pull-up and everything would help um, but it's all about that adaptability as well mm. so natural movement adjusts to the diverse contextual variables and demands of the real world mm. so yeah this is yeah it flows on very well from the specialization topic because um, so many sp- sports and and the culture these days is yeah i'm a yogi or i'm a soccer player or i'm a runner or i'm a this or that i'm a biker um but 
that really doesn't leave much adaptability at all. We need to be movers it's, in general. Yeah, general general movers. Um, and again, that then fle- leads into the next one, which is environmental. So yeah. natural movement originally developed as adaptive behavior for the diverse natural environments in which early humans lived. Yeah. So we had to be working through lots of different environments, different um, textures, surfaces, uh, different like availability of food, different weather patterns and, and all of these things. So being adaptable to those different environments was really the key. And these days we sort of live in um, a zoo, more of like a zoo environment. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that, yeah, that really changes the way we interact with the environment. And limits, and limits the, the learning capabilities because we're... It's very repetitive, the the environments that we put our bodies through. Yes. Whether it's at the gym or... Yeah, it's just flat level ground, a lot of, you know, climate control and safety, you know, risk risk managed, controlled variables, all these things, everything's sort of flat and level and square, whereas nature's very different. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that's that's a really interesting one, the environment that you put in. And a put yourself crucial in. one, yeah. Very, yeah. Then there's progressive. So natural movement capability is developed and should be maintained over time. So this just means that there's increasing levels of complexity and intensity that can be explored through natural movement. So it's not just, you know, one thing or, or you know, it's not just rolling. You know, it's going from rolling to sitting to crawling to squatting to, you know, walking to running. They all sort of flow into each other. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they can become more and more complex and more and more intense. Mm. So, it's, yeah, you should be able to train them progressively. Yeah. So, the next one is efficient. So, this is natural movement tends to meet the level of performance necessary for maximum effectiveness, energy conservation and safety. So... I mean, that's kind of self-explanatory, really. Mm. You want to be doing the best job for the minimum amount of energy and for the, you know, in the safest way possible. Yeah. Um, And in natural environments and survival contexts really favor efficient movement. If you're you're doing things unsafely or using too much energy and or just not doing as good a job as you could, then you going to end up dying survival rates not great <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. You're not basically so yeah nature really rewards efficient movement yeah um and the next one is mindful mm-hmm. so this is basically just paying attention to what you're doing and that's what can ensure efficiency um so attention ensures efficiency is what he describes it and yeah that makes a lot of sense because if you're mind is completely elsewhere um, or you think you're too caught up in thinking about something else um, and you're not paying attention to what you're doing or what's happening in the environment then some something about efficiency is going to go out the window yeah of course if not all of all of the principles above yeah. yeah and the last one is cooperative so humans use natural movement primarily for the benefit of the group or community they belong to that's interesting that yeah which is a complete contrast to a lot of the movement that is considered unnatural. True. Yeah, that's it's a good point. And yeah, a lot of people are sort of go to the gym, chuck their headphones in, work out, and it's, it's for themselves. Yeah, it's for that that um, I guess more egoic kind of like I want to lose fat or gain muscles or this and that so I can look good. But um, often it's not really with the thought of thought in mind of oh I can 
better help my, you know, family move house or, um, mm. you know, I, I, I think a big part of natural movement is that it allows you to perform, perform a lot better in, say, an emergency situation or just to be able, yeah, just to, be able to be helpful yeah. to people and useful, um, which, yeah, is an overlooked part of movement i think and and but you really notice when you can be useful to someone with your movement yeah and it's i think it's something today as well that a lot of people um have just forgone just handed over um that usefulness uh, Mm. and and openly accept that they are useless yeah in certain tasks like i can't i can't do this or i can't do that when people need a hand with something but um Yeah, you you probably identify in your lives the people who are the useful ones and yeah. and they're the people you can count on when you yeah. need them. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, it's an interesting thing these days. Like Owan uses the analogy or he uses the term movement poverty, mm. which is which is kind of similar to what we were talking about last time in terms of everyone's kind of starved of movement. Mm. And so, yeah, there are increasingly cult like culturally it's very accepted to just not be a good mover like oh i'm just unco or oh i just i'm not into exercise or i'm not into you know this or that but and people aren't even necessarily i don't want to say embarrassed about it but they they don't see necessarily a problem with With not being a good mover they either think that's just how they were born or or whatever and and really it's it's the cultural i was gonna say it's because they're in an environment where that's okay yeah or or it's accepted that that's okay and they know that they're not alone (laughs) yeah yeah exactly it's in it's actually the case that most people are in that state of movement poverty and and once talks about how that's something that no one movement poverty is a state that no one can actually biologically afford um because there's so many you know i there's so many health complications with sedentarism mm. um and also it's just a lot harder to enjoy your life <laughs> and i love I, I, what what often surprises me is the disconnect between that um th- that that does impact your health down the line and that you know your inability to be useful they see that as an isolated thing to yeah. survival and, and and it's like well if you were more useful you may not have the health problems that you have. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so this is that sort of short-term and long-term conversation where Mm. humans tend to really suck at focusing in on the long-term implications of their behaviors because they're all about short-term. And because there's not that short-term survival pressure of like, I need to find food, I need to escape predators and this and that, we've completely outsourced all of our movement um, and control our environments so that we can um, survive easier, which is great in so many ways. So many ways. So many ways. That's awesome. And it is a really, it's, it's amazing that we don't have to survive in a natural environment mm-hmm. now in, in a lot of ways, but it comes with a lot of consequences and we need to be aware of those consequences and, and actively seeking to um, change that or avoid those consequences. Yeah, not- not just acting like it it's it's all good <laughs> yeah basically um so yeah there's a there is a real culture of movement poverty and and sedentarism which um which is yeah a real shame and hopefully podcasts like this <laughs> and and you know things that we're trying to do online and and so many other people are doing to try and change that narrative oh yeah um yeah we'll change it but 
it's it's a gradual thing because it's been uh, it's been a probably a very slow and gradual prog- process getting to this stage where that balances has tipped and yes yeah and yeah so many so many societal pressures that keep us from moving um but if you are the key is if you are aware of that and if you are motivated to change that in some way then it's very possible um you know in this day and age yeah we don't have to um, move to find food or escape predators but we do have a lot of um, areas and environments that can facilitate us practicing these natural movements um, if we want. If we want to. Like nature. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, let, well, let's look at effectiveness and efficiency and, and, and sort of delve a bit deeper into that. Yeah. So, basically, there's... When it comes to movement, you can... There's two domains. So, efficient movement and mm. effective movement. Yeah. And they overlap a lot. But basically, it's the difference between getting the job done versus how you get the job done. Yeah. So, uh, effective is like, I want to lift that um, that log up and you go and lift it up. Efficient is looking at how much energy did you use lifting the log up? How, you know... How much impact did it have on the body? How much impact did it have on the body? So, how, how safe was it? Um, and yeah, like could you lift up an even bigger log or is were you really struggling with that one? So the efficiency of it um, really matters as well. And so you could be inefficiently effective <laughs> where you completely... You, you know, got the you, job done. You got the job done, you lifted it up, um, but you strained your back, you used okay. a heap of energy, you're huffing and, pump, huffing and puffing um, and, and there's no way you can go... Now. Exactly, yeah. yep. Or there's ineffectively efficient. And so this is what I suppose most people are doing at the moment is the ultimate efficiency in a sense is not moving at all. <laughs> Getting someone else to lift the log for you. <laughs> yeah, which is great. Um, but for your biological needs, let's say you do have to lift the log, um, then ineffectively efficient is no good because you need to, you need to be able to do the task for the body because um, it means when you have to one day do that task you may not be able to do it yeah you haven't practiced it yeah. and um yeah suddenly someone you love is trapped under a log and you got to lift it up <laughs> and, and you're wishing you had to lifted that log by yourself a little while ago <laughs> exactly yeah and that's that's one thing that's worth noting is that no one really thinks that emergency situations are going to happen to them like where they have to sprint or jump or climb in order to you know save someone they love or um or to escape danger no one thinks that's going to happen to them until it does happen to them and so it really does pay to prepare your body for those kinds of situations by making it physically capable yeah of course (laughs) um because if you do then and you do have an emergency situation you're going to be so grateful that you practice those movements that you needed to practice in order to be effective in that situation whereas if you don't you're going to wish that you had yeah basically it's that simple um so it's just worth noting that yeah emergency situations happen to people all the time every day every single day and it comes out of the blue and becoming you know having a base level of capacity and practicing efficient movement you don't have to be superman you don't have to yeah yeah yeah, exactly. Be able to lift huge logs off people <laughs> every single day, but any little any little bit of movement 
capability and physical capability you develop will help in some way or could help in uh, could help in a big way mm. in certain situations that pop up so it's just worth not just for someone that. else but for yourself as yeah. well yeah. yeah exactly so yeah like we talked about the outcomes of of efficient movement is you increase your safety um, you conserve energy and you improve performance and the way you do that He's got some, in the book, he goes through some principles of efficiency. Again, very deeply. Yes, he goes very deep into all of them. So, we'll just give a a bit of a summary. But those principles are position and breathing. So, obviously, adopting the right positions for the tasks that you want to perform and like the alignment of your bones and joints and muscles and everything, uh, which relates to mobility and, and motor control. So, you know, if you're wanting to lift up a log... Are you hip hinging? Can you, you know, keep a neutral spine? This, this, that, and the next thing. That all relates to efficiency. Mm. Um, then, so the next one on that is breathing. So obviously, the breath is what gives us energy, gives us the oxygen, which then goes to our cells, which then, you know, goes into the whole energy creation process. And so, if you, you might be adopting a certain position really well but you can't breathe in that position all of a sudden your efficiency is out the window because if you're not breathing you're not getting energy in which case yeah yeah it's just not gonna work of course so having that ability to adopt the right positions and be able to breathe in those positions is really important Mm. um and you know on that note certain positions will inhibit your breathing so if you're sitting at a desk and you're all kyphotic or your your trunk is leaned forward into flexion, it's actually harder to breathe in that yeah, position right. and, it's, and it's harder to breathe diaphragmatically. So with your diaphragm, which is the most efficient way to breathe, so now you're inefficiently breathing because of your position. And I know we're going to go into breathing a bit later um, in another podcast, mm-hmm. um, but it's a space that is really, you know, only in the last sort of five to 10 years being given the, the respect that it deserves, but it's um, yeah. it's fascinating when you look at how many different aspects of the body and, and health breathing alone Ooh. can yeah it's huge. improve. Yeah, so yeah, we're gonna do a podcast with Tom, who's a physio who just lives up the road actually, and he's breath performance physio on Instagram. So we're gonna delve deep into that with him. Um, but couple of great uh, books on breathing that you can already look into. Uh, Oxygen Advantage by mm. Patrick McCowan and Breath by James Nestor. Those are two of my favorites um, that people can look into in the meantime. But Get we'll, studying for the next one. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so position and breathing and then you've got tension mm. and relaxation. So you need to have the right balance between tension in certain muscles and areas of the body and, re- and relaxation. So you can't just be all tense. It's kind of obvious. Like if you're just all tensed like this and you're trying to move then it's not going to be efficient. Yeah, of course. <laughs> because you're just using too much energy and you're not able to actually coordinate the patterns. Yeah. Whereas if you're just completely relaxed, then again, you're not really going to be able to get anywhere. Achieve much, yeah. So having that balance between tension and relaxation um, allows for efficient movement. And often that has to change like that. So mm. if you're a sprinter, for instance, you're moving really quickly and there's uh, sort of quote-unquote unquote, a lot of tension in the body. But there's also a whole heap of relaxation going on very quickly. It's that swapping between tension and relaxation very quickly that creates the speed. Yeah, true. And, you know, if a lot of, if you talk to like top top sprinters and and athletes, yeah, they'll tell you a lot of it is 
being able that. to relax the right areas of the body in yeah. order to increase the speed, which is interesting. Yeah, real interesting. Uh, and then we get to sequence and timing. So sequence and timing combined with position, breathing, tension, relaxation really creates your movement patterns. Mm-hmm. So all your positions might be correct. So say if you're going to pick up a log, you might have the right positions where you hinge and then you drop a little bit into a squat and you, you know, you've got those positions, but if you don't do them in the right sequence, then the whole coordination is off and then the efficiency is gone. It's funny with all of these things that he's breaking down, they seem so simple, but when when you're thinking about it, it's so good that he's been able to break them down into this concise and yeah and straightforward way of thinking about it. Yeah, it For gives you a language that is so just natural. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it it does really help because yeah, it gives you a language to describe. Okay, so and then be able to identify which ones you're missing or which yeah. parts are, are faltering. Yeah, exactly. And so the timing. Timing and sequence is sort of what cre- what makes movements feel natural or mm. they feel efficient is because the timing of the position and you know the sequence of all these things work together to create the pattern, say running or lifting or jumping or yeah. anything like that. And if you take away a certain part of the sequence, say a jump, if you take away the arm swing, then that completely throws away, throws away or doesn't completely throw away the efficiency, but it affects the efficiency. You might still be effective, but you're going to be doing it poorly, basically. Poorly. Yeah. yeah. Um, Using more energy and... Yeah, less for performance. The same yeah. Effectiveness, yeah. Exactly. So, all of those factors, breathing and position, tension and relaxation, sequence and timing, they all create the formation of technique of any movement. Yeah. And um, so... Yeah, like I said, that whole principles of efficiency really does almost need its own podcast. Um, and you can, in the book, it's um, explained very deeply. So, again, highly recommend getting the book. Um, but he also talks about how efficiency by itself is not enough in yeah. terms of real world capability. So, there's competency, which is motor learning. So, technique basically so yeah. getting all those things right and then there's capacity which is like more the physiological adaptations so the strength and the power and you know this is where sort of muscle size and muscle power Play comes in yeah um because you can't really ignore both of those because both of those will contribute to physical capability so if you were just really skilled you know hypothetically really skilled with these motor things but you just were really weak, yeah. then you're not going to have the best performance. No. And if you were just really strong, but you weren't very skilled, then again, you're going to be inefficient and you're not going to have good real world capability. And so it's the two of them together that matter. And the good thing is, like we've talked about, if you practice a skill enough, then that inherently will start to increase your capacity yeah. um, in an efficient way. And if you increase, sometimes it's good to increase your capacity uh, especially if you have been sedentary for a long time and mm. certain areas are weak and and joints are stiff and so on. If you can increase your physiological capacity, that can help facilitate the learning of new motor skills. So they work hand in hand. They feed each other, yeah. Yeah, which is, which is good. But in general, you do want to focus on competency first. So motor learning and skills first, because that's what will allow you to build capacity 
uh, in a more efficient and safe way. I mean, is that a prime example? Someone going to the gym and just starting to lift weights without properly properly learning how. Yeah, which I've seen a lot of. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Going to the gym, you see people. They go, "Oh, deadlifts are good for you." They just go and start deadlifting, but they obviously haven't learned how to deadlift in an efficient way. And yes, the body can adapt to lots of different movement patterns, but if they're wanting to get the best performance and the best outcome in the safest way out of their deadlift, it's important to actually learn how to deadlift. And um, similarly with running, like, you know, we do our walks along the river every day and... What a window into... We, yeah, we see the, the most motor interesting yeah. mix of running styles and... Some of them just clearly aren't efficient and they're all still running. Yes. But they're running, but this, I mean, and it's no wonder why I can't remember the exact stat, but I think it's 75% of runners will get injured every year or will have wow. some kind of injury every year. And it's like, when you it, look at that though, it's no wonder. Yeah, yeah. Because running is a skill that is developed and most people aren't practicing the skill and they're just running for their only form of exercise in the context of sitting for the rest of the day. And so their joints and their muscles and their whole nervous system is not set up for that task of running and they're just trying to work through it. And yes, the body can adapt and handle a lot of load and and you know and all of that, but it does have limitations as well. You can't just keep doing that forever. And I guess the risk is that when people do it for long enough, uh, it gets ingrained that way of doing that that movement. You see these people yeah, it's running, running, it becomes yeah. habitual. And they think because they can do it and can continue to do it and they've got that capacity that they're doing it the right way mm-hmm. until they get injured. Yeah. And then they wonder what, what happened and what went wrong. I was, I was just running. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then... It's not having that awareness of... Because it really, it. it really does take conscious effort in order to change that running pattern and that style and, and to really work on that and to change the mobility of your body that is sort of inherent in changing the running style as well. So there's a whole lot of factors. Um, and I, we'll talk a bit about that uh, a bit more when we chat about the method. Mm. Um, but the other... Th- part of efficiency that matters that's important to think about is just contextual proficiency so yes you might be a really efficient mover and you know you can you've got all your breathing and and position and sequence and timing all down pat um but if you don't have good situational situational awareness Mm. um and you're not adaptable then the efficiency doesn't matter as much so he he just uses the example of like yeah you could be the most efficient runner but if you're running in the wrong direction, <laughs> it doesn't help much. Yeah, of course. So having an awareness of what actually needs to be done and what's going on in the environment and therefore how you might need to change. Do you need to adopt a slightly less efficient pattern in order to adapt to the environment? Then, you know, that's what actually helps you survive. So contextual proficiency matters a lot. Mm. And I think the way to get that these days is just exposing yourself to different environments, especially natural environments and, you know, purposely exposing yourself to some, some stressful and some risky situations, some more risky situations can help you build that situational awareness. So, you know, climbing a tree 
really forces you into the present. We experienced that not too long ago, um, doing a tree climbing session with Liam, our, our mate Liam, and he's like right into it. Yeah. And we see him s- scale up this tree and we Incredible. go to follow him. Yeah. And then you get to a certain height in the tree and you're like, this is a big Ooh. old bunya pine. This thing was, yeah. was huge. <laughs> yeah. You're like, oh, this is really high. <laughs> I really can't afford to fall off this. Yeah. And so suddenly you're very present in the moment going, okay, what's, what does that branch look like? How, how sturdy does that branch look? How far do I have to reach to get to the next one? And we asked him about that. How did he get, how does he build that confidence up to just scale these trees at a rate of knots? And, and he spoke about that, being able to quickly identify, okay, we're looking at the, that branch and the thickness of that branch and how much weight I have to place on that branch and how closely my feet will be to the trunk and, all of these little, you know, bits of analysis that he does in the moment because he has that situational awareness, mm-hmm. which gives him the confidence then to move through those environments. Yeah. Uh, so that in itself, yeah, it's a practice and it's a, it's a skill. Is that is that contextual mm-hmm. and situational awareness, and that can be like, yeah, he might be the, someone might be a really proficient climber say on a wall, on a bouldering wall in a controlled environment with mats below them. But if they then go to a tree, then all of these, con- all the, the whole context strange. is different. Yeah. And you don't have a mat to fall on. If you mess up, then you're going to really hurt yourself or die. So, And a prime example is, you know, rock hopping. And, mm. and our, I guess we're not masters of it, but even when we went camping recently uh, with my brothers and, and a mate, um, watching them who are really good runners i guess in a football context or a sports context but couldn't move through this environment with any speed yeah they there was they're going real slow and they they struggled to keep up with the pace that we were setting mostly just because we'd practiced more natural movements and spent more time rock hopping yeah that's yeah. it and yeah a lot of the rock hopping yeah rock hopping is another great example it's probably one of my favorite things to do cuz you're especially if you get some speed with it it's risky if you fall then something's gonna hurt Uh, you're probably gonna knock at least an arm or a leg and possibly your head and so it sort of forces your brain straight into the present and really taking in okay that rock looks stable that rock looks like it's too far away that rock looks perfect you know and oh there's water on that one there's algae on that one then there's all these contextual factors that you take in at once and then your brain changes the trajectory of your movement in order to suit that and it's fascinating when you're experiencing that the feedback that you're getting from the brain when you do nail one of those connections with something that may have been a little dicey in 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 the moment in your head where you're like oh you know you go for it because yeah. you've got confidence from the, the context that you've already had and the situational awareness that you already have. But the feedback that you get when you do nail that fuels you on for the next time that you go to do that movement. And it's the same mm-hmm. with Liam climbing trees, um, yeah, knowing you- that that branch is gonna, isn't going to break or that you've got the confidence that you put your foot in the right place. And Yeah, you sort of get to know the feeling of of what it what uh, an effective movement is or like what a stable surface is you just you get that confidence and you get more confidence in your ability to um to change your trajectory based on the environment troubleshooting on the go yeah Yeah. and that's what really facilitates the speed so to us liam climbing up climbing up that tree it was like whoa this guy can really climb (laughs) um 
and it's like wow he's you know but it's it's because he's spent all that time doing it Mm. and similarly with the boys and us rock hopping they would have been like well these guys are just screaming through here like Mm. what's going on and it's just because we've spent more time doing that and uh, some more time practicing natural movements in our daily life in in the city as well Mm. so yeah it just comes down to exposing yourself to those environments and and those those behaviors so yeah that's that's where as well so exposing yourself to the environment is one thing um which is really good and important but you also don't want to just go out in nature completely unprepared like oh sweet okay all i have to do is go out in nature and i'll and i'll figure it out because yes natural movements are instinctual and they're um inherent and actually i'll I'll just use this quote from erwan which is although natural movement is an innate instinctual physical behavior it also requires practice to make efficiency in natural movement second nature. Hmm. So we need to nurture our nature to unleash our full potential. I love that. We yeah. re- so we really liked that quote because it just points to the fact that, yes, a lot of these natural movements are inherent in our body and, and you know, are programmed for us to do. Uh, but that doesn't mean that everyone has access to efficient natural movement, especially in today's culture where we're mostly sedentary for a lot of our lives. And those two examples that we're just giving are, are perfect Clearly, to suggest yeah. that. Yes, exactly. So it does definitely help to have a method to learn efficient movements. And, you know, there's... I'm going to call it a historical method, which it's not really a method. It's just how we would have learned back then, which is monkey see, monkey do, basically. Because, like we've talked Copy about, what you see. a natural movement, a natural environment facilitates or encourages efficient movement in order to survive. Then, a kid or you know, yeah, an infant human would be seeing the movements that its parents and tribe are doing and mimicking it. So there's we've got things in our brain called mirror neurons Mm. which basically allow us to mimic movements really well and so it's that's what it is monkey see monkey do and then the kids would play with those movements together in different ways and explore those movements in different contexts and environments and And then put them into action and then put them into action and, and eventually become a viable adult who can survive using those same movement patterns um of yeah running climbing throwing wrestling all these things have been played with and practiced um growing up and then therefore they become efficient and effective as an adult and so what do we see today then so what we see today is that no one moves naturally anymore because there's no there's none of that survival pressure Mm. um so we've lost our mirrors we've yeah true we've lost the mirrors that we should be modeling off the the we don't see natural movement occurring anymore what we see is yeah quote unquote unnatural movement or the supplements of exercise that are being shown and even the natural movements that we do see are either sort of disrupted by footwear or by you know Chairs. immobility yeah exactly so you know say for example running which is one of the most natural movements that comes to most people's mind the pattern of running if you add a big cushioned shoe healed cushioned rigid shoe is going to have a completely different effect on your feet and your whole body than if you weren't running in that shoe and similarly if your hips are really stiff from sitting then your motor pattern your movement pattern is going to be 
far different than if your hips were open because, you know, quote unquote open or mobile into extension from practicing a lot of walking and running and, and jumping and so on. And we've seen prime examples of this in the past week with the launch of the Hacking the System in-person courses that mm-hmm. we've been running with, with young footballers. And I mean, we suspected and it was just quite, uh, I don't know if confronting is the right word, but um, yeah, unsurprising to see how poor the balance was of some of these kids. And that really just comes back to the fact that, yeah, they haven't had anything to mirror off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they haven't had the modeling and they've been in these shoes and chairs for already for five, six years, you know, with these young soccer players, mm. um, or probably more for shoes. Yeah. Most kids are sort of put into sh- big chunky shoes from like two years old or as soon as they start walking pretty much. Um, and so, yeah, you can really see the effects on that and kids should be, should be much further along in their movement capacity. But again, it's, it's the societal trends. It's not their fault. It's not even their parents' fault. It's just the way the culture has been set up at the moment. Mm. And so we're hoping to be able to change some of that with, with hacking the system as well, yeah. providing a bit more natural movement within, within. a play-based context. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Cause that's how kids learn and, and that's how it makes it fun, which gets it done. <laughs> oh, I like that. Make it fun, get it done. <laughs> <laughs> Lock it in. Um, so, yeah. So, in the modern context then, we do need a method, which is basically a, a breakdown of what the movements are and step-by-step progressions of how to learn those movements um, and having some guidance and feedback along that process can be really helpful. And... Obviously, that will facilitate some focused and intentional practice. So if you know what you're supposed to be practicing, you know how it all works together and someone's going, yep, that's right, or no, try and change this a little bit, um, then that allows you to practice with focused um, intention Mm. where um, you're actually, I guess, developing skills and learning, learning the patterns. And then on top of that, you can start layering capacity and, and intensity and things like that. Like we talked about, build the competency first, which then allows you to build the capacity in a more, in a safer and more efficient way. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's good to remember, like, like we said, make it fun, get it done. Um, because like we said, humans aren't too good. Like it's like, well, why do I even need to do all these natural What's movements? The What's yeah. the point? Um, and it, yeah, it comes back to that short-term, long-term thing. And another quote from Erwan is, natural movement always has been and always will be a timeless biological necessity. So whether or not you need it now to survive or, or whether you need it long-term to thrive and, and to survive in the long-term because sedentarism is very closely linked to all chronic diseases that most people are dying from these days. Um, So you do need it for survival in either short term or long term. Um, But even saying that, like everyone knows they should move and exercise more. Everyone knows they should eat healthy food. Everyone knows they should, um, you know, sleep more and so on. But it's not unless you facilitate that with some kind of, I feel, fun or flow or play that actually people start to do it. And so, you know, cooking 
cooking is like the is the way to facilitate healthy food if you learn how to cook and you know what's going in and you feel really confident in the kitchen you got all the tools then boom 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 there's healthy food it tastes delicious and it's fun yeah you want the process to give as much reward as the end goal exactly yeah because people don't do too well with just thinking about the end goal and and forcing themselves with discipline it can happen but it's it's harder a lot harder and i guess it comes back to what we're doing with those courses with with kids trying to teach them how to enjoy this style of movement from Mm -hmm. an early age so that hopefully you can build yeah a little generation of of young movers who want to play with their movement barefoot yeah uh, and want to build you know these bodies that that are resilient and can move exactly because it's play because it's fun yeah it's not about going oh kids this is good for you it's going to help prevent injuries and you know you should do this because anyone with kids knows that doesn't work (laughs) you know i mean working as a physio and even being a kid who's had physio before if you get a bunch of boring exercises, you're just not going to do them. You'll do them for a couple of days. And that's not just kids. That's big kids it's, as that's well. Big that's kids. adults. That's yeah. everyone. Uh, it's everyone. So yeah, you need to find a way to make the process enjoyable and rewarding and, and have some meaning to it. Yeah, of course. Um, so where do you start? So I always like to start with the lifestyle and environmental factors because these are what makes, generally what makes the biggest difference because they're they're what you're doing for the bulk of your life, um, and, and they, if you can surround yourself with those, then they take that away could the, have the biggest could be the biggest helper. Yeah, and they take away the element of like willpower and discipline, or they they um, they don't take it away, but they minimize the need for willpower. So some obvious places to start would be transitioning to barefoot or natural footwear. So this is obviously something we talk about a lot. And this is all down to facilitating the natural movement of your foot and therefore the rest of your body. It's the house you're putting your feet in. Yeah. So start at the foundation. That's that's our, our whole big thing. Yeah. Um, and again, just acknowledging that you may need to transition um, gradually and with the help of some supplements. So foot mobilizing and toe spreading and balance work and arch control work and all... All of these things can help you transition. You might not be able to just strap on a pair of barefoot shoes and do everything that you had been doing for the last 20, 30, 40 years in big cushion shoes. Yeah. So we've got a resource uh, about to come out uh, on that as well, yeah. on, on helping to transition. Um, then the next one, the next environmental thing is normalizing and facilitating ground living. So again, this is an environmental setup. If like we've got here with all these mats set out on the ground, we're much more likely to want to come and sit on the mats because it's a comfy, clean, open space. Um, and we've got our little tables and you know all of this stuff that makes it feel nicer to be on the ground. So mm. finding a way to facilitate that and ground living and ground sitting is probably some of the most natural movements you can do and that really It's a really good up. little hack as well because if you can bring that into your life then yeah instantly it's it's almost like cheating. <laughs> I mean yeah. because you're getting that movement you're getting just all this... by doing all of these other things that you'd normally do in your life. Yeah. when you're having dinner or watching TV or whatever you're doing if you're forcing yourself into that ground environment you're getting the benefits whilst doing what you would normally be doing anyway. Exactly. It's free mobility work. It's yeah. like, it's the difference between 
sitting all day in a in a chair and then coming home and mobilizing your hips for an hour or just mobilizing your hips all day every day by sitting on the ground or standing on a standing workstation and so on um so normalizing and facilitating ground living Uh, and then the other environmental design things is having balance beams or hanging bars or you know hacky sacks or things around the place that facilitate the movement um probably the balance beam and the hanging bar are more relevant to natural movement and those are you know two really really key bits of kit that i think everyone should have again it doesn't have to be a tfc balance beam um it can just be a plank of wood something like that um and a hanging bar, yeah, it doesn't have to be an expensive rig or anything like that. Or you could just grab a couple of gymnastic rings or... And again, this is all about building that environment so that you don't have to do half an hour on the beam every single day or half an hour on the hanging bar. Um, but having them there in your environment subtly encourages you to get on them and move on them. And I know, yeah. you know, I, I never had a strict beam training regime, um, but because they were there... When you'd walk past, you jump on it and yeah, you're getting those snacks throughout your day exactly. that all add up. Yeah, they do. And they do really, really add up. Um, and then just exposing yourself to different environments. Like we've talked about getting out in nature, going to parks, trails, creeks, mountains, you know, all these kinds of things that sort of force you to adapt or move in a different, well, don't force, but they encourage you yeah. to adapt in, in a different way. Um, so those lifestyle and environmental things are really key. And if you can think of any others that apply specifically to you, then then do that. We're mm. just sort of giving you a place to start. Um, but then having, like we talked about, an intentional practice, which involves elements of guidance and coaching Coaches, and feedback, yeah. um, skill development, which does take repetition um, and, and the feedback, like I said, whether that's internal feedback from your body or external feedback from, um, yeah, a coach, something like that, that's really important. And then layering on that capacity, so yeah. strength, power, endurance, speed. Um, so having intentional practice sessions, again, the more you do the lifestyle stuff, the less you sort of have to, you know, the less you have to do the intentional practice, but the intentional practice can be really fun and rewarding in itself. And the better your intentional practice will be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Because if you're stiffening yourself up all day because you're not doing the lifestyle stuff and then you're trying to do the intentional practice and add load and learn these skills, then you're going to be fighting an uphill battle. Yeah, It'll slow down your skill development and yeah. your ability to build capacity. Yeah. So. so all the environmental stuff really facilitates that practice. And then it's just, again, down to playing. So you've learned these new skills, you've built these capacities, you want to start exploring those new skills in different environments, again, in nature. And, um, you know, you can. it might be good to start with a more controlled environment and gradually add complexity. So you might start with just a park where you're doing some rolls and crawls and jumps. And then you might go to, yeah, like a creek where you're having to climb over some boulders and step up and down and go on all fours and things like that. Uh, And then up to like a, you know, even higher complexity, like climbing a tree, which has a more element of risk and and so on. and, And exposing yourself to these novel environments so that you can get some sort of creative problem solving going on. So you see a a movement problem, quote unquote, and 
something, some kind of task that you want to achieve, like climbing that boulder or climbing that tree. And you got to figure out, okay, how can I do that? And that's that where the creative problem solving comes in. And all of those factors, are, and especially a bit of element of risk, are really key for getting into that flow state where yeah. you're feeling your best and performing your best and just fully in that present moment, um, which again is very rewarding and is what makes all of this stuff worth it in the yeah. short term and then you get the the extra bonus and long term benefits is, i guess sort of the the end goal of all of this natural movement is if you can reach that state where simply moving through a natural environment can get you into that flow state yeah rather than being frightened or uneasy or feeling out of your depth if you can be moving through nature with freedom and with flow then yeah you've you've, you've you've achieved what you, what the end goal really is. Yeah, and it is hard to beat the feeling of oh. moving through nature confidently, bare feet, you know, connecting with nature in that way. It is actually really hard to beat that feeling because I, our brain and our body is just wired for that and you give it that challenge and you show it that it's you show yourself that you're capable of achieving that and you just get a whole heap of dopamine or reward chemicals i mean the the flow there's a whole um like neurochemistry of flow where you get a big dump of all these um neurotransmitters and hormones that are like reward chemicals basically so it's like being on drugs yeah <laughs> but your brain is creating them in a in a response to solving movement challenges in the environment which is pretty cool yeah incredible um so that's a good place to start. There's also, like we talked about, there's MoveNat um, is the the program, I suppose, of natural movement that Oan's created. And they've got some online e-courses um, that uh, there's like fundamentals of natural movement and then there's movement uh, MoveNat mobility. And then I think they've got also now got a MoveNat um, metabolic conditioning kind of okay. thing. Yeah. So they, they're expanding their online... Um, offerings i guess especially because of the covid thing they do i know they do run certifications and um you know one one off events kind of workshops workshop kind of days mm. and that'll depend on you know where you live and what the situation with lockdowns are and you know instructors in the local area and so on but i think the online courses are a really great place to start and if you can get to those yeah, really well events yeah. then um that'd be a great thing as well and then we've obviously got a lot of resources in terms of natural foot movement so we've got our barefoot education web page and a bunch of videos on there and uh, we'll also be working on a more thorough detailed resource for um, like getting out of foot pain and transitioning to barefoot and things like that, which will be coming over the next week or so. Plus some more videos just on, on certain movements, particular movements. Yeah, yeah. And we've also got our like our tools and products that help facilitate some of that natural foot movement. So the wild toes with the spreaders, um, which which are toe spreaders and um, the mobility, mobility balls, balls and beams. balance beams. Yeah, so plenty of stuff there to work on and play with um and then we'll also be getting some content now out at uh, bush one so we're actually planning to get out to 
TFC Bush One, which we explored a bit of the concept in our first podcast. Um, but for those of you who may not have listened to that one, um, it's basically a plot of land that my uncle and auntie own out at um, uh, sort of west of Brisbane, southwest of Brisbane, and it's just deep nature, <laughs> the perfect playground yeah. for natural movement as well. So yeah. we're going to be setting up a bit of a a bit of a retreat center there that the um, our community can share in and eventually yeah, run some proper nature immersion retreats. Um, that's the vision with it. And we're going to just start spending some more time out there building and creating the content, like sort of more natural movement content. And yeah, we'll be getting a lot more videos out there, um, especially with the rock hopping and tree yeah. climbing and stuff like that. It's, it's, it's the perfect uh, backdrop for yeah for all of that. Yeah, it's ideal. So uh, stay tuned for all the updates on that because um, that could be a great way to you know if you if you wanted to get involved, then that can be a great way to get out in that nature and experience some of this natural movement um, and sort of share in the in the community that we're trying to build um but more to come on that later and otherwise we'll wrap up this week's episode so thanks so much for tuning in thanks guys and next week we'll be talking all about movement practice so tune in for that one 